this week on Big Me Out. your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back with another one of our Patreon picks. One of our folks who's been supporting the podcast for the last 12 months has their pick on deck. Jay, we have not we have not gone down this road before, so this is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, a whole new part of the world for us to check out, so this is cool. The only time we've actually, well, I don't want to get into it. I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. But joining us from across the pond, as they say, <laughs> over in the UK, whereabouts, uh, he'll have to fill us in. But uh, Crawford Blair, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm in northwest London, but I'm actually from Scotland. So I lived in London from, for a long time, though. So, yeah. Excellent. And let's just get to it. Tell everyone your pick, why you picked it. And uh, we'll get we'll get started in talking about it. Sure. Well, I, I think like it seems to be like a couple of patrons have had the same kind of existential crisis about what to actually pick, and and they've gone back from. And I had like about four records that I was going back and forth with, and the the I was going to do the Young Gods a Young Gods record called TV Sky, but then I thought you guys have done quite a lot of industrial sort of music recently, and the Young Gods are kind of vaguely industrial, so I thought I would. Um, uh, tie something in because I I have a little radio show that I do with two friends um, where we we play Japanese music and I've been obsessed or interested in Japanese music for uh, maybe ten to fifteen years now like kind of properly trying to seek it out and um, we have this little show where we just find it's called Japan Alternative Sessions and we just find music that we like it doesn't have to be alternative music and it's not night it's not all 90s music it's from we played stuff back to the 40s and 20s even or right up to like stuff that was released last week but it, in the process of getting that little show together which we do once every couple of weeks it's just finding the process of finding new music and um throughout the last 15 years i becoming aware of that there's a whole extra world of uh music from japan that is entirely congruent with the kind of music that people that listen to Dig Me Out would probably like, in that it's it's probably what you call J-Rock or J-Indie or Shibuya K. There's, there's various bands that have a similar feel, similar style to American college rock, indie rock, punk. There's, you know, it all exists out there. And it's not, it's some of it is equally as good as the good bands from the West. You know, it's not secondhand. It's not regurgitated for a Japanese market. It is genuinely just as great a lot of the time. Um, I mean, there's quite a few bands that we know that have made over to the West. People like Cornelius, Pizzicato 5, because they got signed to Western, Buffalo Daughter, Chibomato. Right. They got signed to, you know, they got signed to Western record labels. So this is somebody who never got signed to a Western record label, even though they're signed to or they were signed, she was signed to EMI. Her name is Sheena Ringo. Um, and she she's kind of, even though this record didn't come out in 
in the night, it just made it. It was like just in early two thousand, it came out. But it, um, I think when I when I when I hit you up if it was going to be cool to do it, you said it was okay because the first record came out in the nineties. So that she just makes it through the gate. It's called the hair. Marvelous Three rule. We did that for Marvelous Three. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a record. It's her second record. It's called Shozo Strip, which means winning strip. I think that's something to do with gambling or, or betting or something. But um, it came out in March of 2000, uh, and it was on a big label, EMI Records. It was She was already getting quite successful when, it, um, when the second record was released. Um, and it went, this, this record just kind of rocketed for her. It went straight into the charts at number one. It stayed in the charts for, I think, about 29 weeks. And it sold over 2 million copies. But, and this is the interesting thing about Japanese music, and this is part of what pulls me in about Japanese music, is it's, it was insanely, insanely successful, but it's, a, it's still in a lot of ways quite, it's not an easy list, it's not a pop record. It's a noisy, slightly turbulent, kind of a quite aggressive, um, you know, sort of dislikable even in places. And she doesn't make it easy for the listener, especially with Western ears. And I thought that was, that that kind of, that I, f- I found a lot of that when I've been doing the show, when the, my colleagues and I have been doing the show, there's a lot of music that was very successful and very well thought of, but it's the Japanese have a slightly, they've got a, a different idea about what's commercial. <laughs> it can either be incredibly plastic sounding and commercial, but it can also be quite just kind of weird and 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 noisy and arty and and kind of slightly difficult. And that was kind of a cool thing to find out over the years. It's sort of been revealed to me that you know what is what has been what is works as is commercial music and what doesn't. So yeah. So the record I picked to answer your question is Shozo Strip by Sheena Ringo. She's a solo artist. Excellent. And yeah. Uh, you did so because of Patreon, and we want to welcome one of our latest latest Patreon subscribers. That's Casey Westerman. Just joined us at the one dollar level. Thanks for joining us, Casey. Casey will be voting in our upcoming poll for the month of May and be entered into our second quarter giveaway and all those fun things that you get when you join us at Patreon.com forward slash Dig Me Out. Now we got one comment from Keith Soy over at uh, Patreon. He said. Only two. Oh, sorry. That's just some technical stuff. He said, "Wow, that bass is super prominent and heavy. Seems out of <laughs> place with the overly jazzy piano overtones. Seems like an odd stew of musical influences. There's a '70s era waka chicka guitar in there and some soaring '60s strings. Plus, the producer loads up the late '90s vocal fry. It doesn't come, all come together, but I can see the charm. Now he's only talking about one song because yeah, uh, this is actually kind of hard to track down over here in the states because it's not on any streaming services. The YouTube is actually pretty uh, light in terms of what we can access. Only one of the yeah. those three uh, uh, um, links were actually accessible. <laughs>
brutally brutally on it when it comes to youtube they just take shit down all the time they're really and and she's only just come on recently come on to spotify in the uk so it's all quite japan's quite late to the whole digital realm really you know you you would think and i i think jay and i have conversed about this previously with the you know fall of the physical media supposedly in the 2000s and the rise of digital and streaming that like everything would be accessible everywhere but nope Still got to make it difficult for people to be able to listen to music outside of their territory. So it's uh, actually weird that just as a side note, Japan are basically they're like the last consumer standing when it comes to CDs. They still buy CDs that for a supposedly kind of you know advanced you know technical technologically sort of forward thinking uh, country. They they are remarkably slow at, at picking up on on stuff and and i think they just that all the rights issues and, and all the kind of legal stuff it just it takes so much so much longer in japan than it does over here gotcha i, I did not know that that's interesting huh. yeah all right let's get into this record jay <laughs> let's talk about let's do it this now this is unusual for us now you mentioned chibomato we did do a chibomato album yes. long ago we also did a shonen knife album Yes. Now the difference, of course, is that those are both English-speaking bands. This is not. I mean, there's a. I think there's like a few lines here or there, very like small. Unless my brain was playing tricks on me. No, um, no, no. There definitely is a couple of lines of English, but to be truthful, it's for the best that she doesn't sing in English because her English accent isn't great at all. It's, it's gotten better, but it's still not not great. So this might be our first completely in a foreign language album cool. that we've ever done. So we're we're crossing into new territory here. <laughs> so Jay, tell me one thing you liked about what was the name of the album again? Social Shozo Shozo Strip. Well, it is eclectic, but in a weird way, you get a little bit of everything, but it holds together um, to me. So there's this really great glue. I think that probably the pop sensibility of the band that holds. The material together mm-hmm. and then i think what i like is that you get all these twists and turns that you don't expect i mean from different genres to different instruments it can be very aggressive it can be very you know quiet and jazzy and almost sweet at times so um i i just really enjoyed the ride and, and we've reviewed you know this isn't the first kind of eclectic um a nearing experimental record we reviewed obviously one that came to mind was a band like the cardiacs yeah where it's a lot more progressive well, that and... was one of my picks i should say as well cardiac there you go I don't know if you remember so there you go um <laughs> excellent so let's see how we tied that together uh, <laughs> that was a band that popped in my mind as i listened to this but in a like um i think that they are able to pull these elements together without sounding like a prog band whereas i think cardiacs at times do sound like a prog band i think they still to me sound like a just a pop rock band but you get all of this extra flavor to it which is just a lot of fun so yeah i I like all the different ingredients they're bringing here and how they'll hold it together yeah i'm going to agree with you on that the cardiacs is is to me in in our universe the obvious comparison in terms of there are just some insanely weird uh, choices in terms of production and in terms of instrumentation where it will jump from like a very pop sounding you know f- first two tracks the first track is you know this like soaring vocal with strings and it's very pop and it has that like flute loop 
that's in there. Yeah. And then the second song is like this, you know, more electronic and contemporary sounding. And then the third goes to that crazy, like distorted bass and vocal. And there's cool, there's like weird keyboard and production things going on. And then you have that fourth song with the electric piano ballad and a big chorus. And I, I just started thinking like, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be nuts. Like we're not, you're not going to be able to predict <laughs> from song to song where this is going. Because at times it was like, okay, this kind of reminds me of like 90s. Madchester at times with some of these like grooves and like weird keyboard like almost in like a happy mondays or primal scream kind yeah. of sound and then you would jump to like something that sounds like modern contemporary like m83 or you know much more you know like yeah contemporary in the last couple years electronic music and um lcd sound system and those kind of bands where you're hearing like just these weird combinations of organic and electronic mixed into songs and then you get like track six which is like a metal song and there's another song that has like uh was it track 11 it's like i don't even know if that's her singing for the whole song it might be someone else uh in those distorted oh, verses you're sure public no that's her oh okay again probably through a bullhorn or something yeah something like doing the scott wyland bullhorn or something but yeah that that to me was like what really made it interesting was just like I had no idea what was going to happen from song to song. There are songs that sound like cabaret, uh, you know, swing songs and um, the bass playing out of all the instrumentation. The bass playing is crazy. Um, I don't know if it's the same bass player on every song or no, if it's... there's the, I think it's probably um, Seiji Kameda on most of it. I think he's he might be on everything. Um well, he's a badass. I, 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 yeah, he is. He is a complete badass. I think he might be on. The, I think by that point, she was still using roughly the same band and just augmenting it. So it's probably the same bass player on on all of it. And yeah, he's he's an incredible bass player. bouncing between you know these very like pop uh disco-y kind of bass lines and then these like heavy industrial metal bass lines and it's just it's all over the place and it's so high up in the mix on a lot of these songs that and i, I don't know if that's just a difference in terms of 
culture in the way that things are mixed because in the I don't think that if we were listening to us and it was like a a US producer they would mix the baseline that loud so much I think, of what what, it is, I think you're exactly right um you you basically hit it on the head it, uh, there are there are cultural differences okay. in with regards to how um music is kind of consumed or experienced or maybe related to um this is one thing i kind of i've sort of found out just through you know seeking out a bunch of music and from japan and i i kind of think and i've read you know little things on the internet and stuff people seem to theorize that basically japanese people have a slightly different um relationship to quite noisy uh elements in music and they have they're they're much more used to dissonance if you go to japan you, you there will be if you go to any city in Japan, there will be little tannoys blaring music or, or people's voices at you, like layers and layers of them because you're walking past all these shops or you may be in a public place. They have little tannoys that play music at certain times of day. If you, if, you go, if you ever go there, they have these cicadas in Japan that are the goddamn loudest things you've ever heard in your entire damn life. <laughs> they are so loud, they will make your teeth itch. And they all summer, they just, they're everywhere and they just make this incredible racket all day long so there has been it has been kind of posited that because of this kind of thing it's embedded in, in some, maybe the japanese kind of genealogy that they have a slightly different relationship to noisy turbulent music and and some of some of this record is really noisy and turbulent but as you said earlier it's very jazzy and that's the other thing that we find and there's also the kind of genre hopping thing and that's those are kind of like quite fundamental things that i've I found over the years that you will find quite noisy, turbulent, over-the-top music and production, but it's always underpinned. Like they, I don't know what it is about Japanese musicians, but they know their shit. They have it. They have it down. They know their chords. They they know how to write really interesting kind of music. So you have these kind of layers, and then they'll quite happily like shift from genre to genre or throw in elements from different genres on top of each other. Um, in a kind of interesting way. And it's I don't think they're doing it to say, oh, hey, look how clever we are. It's just something that they like to do as a measure of experimentation. Yeah, and I think that's what, that's interesting because uh, maybe that's what I'm responding to in that this is eclectic, but it's not proggy to me. Because I think prog has that element of like, hey, look at me, isn't this amazing that we just pulled off this time signature change where yeah. this feels like, no, this is what's going on in my head and I'm just trying to present it to you. Like, it's quite, you know a, it's mean? quite an, yeah, it's it's quite an angry record, and I think a lot of it is like a bit of a kind of, you know, I don't know if I can, can I cuss? Yes, yeah, yeah. Please do. It's like a kind of a fuck you to people, you know. There's, it's like at the time, I don't know what age she was at the time. She was probably like in her very early twenties. It was a second record. Um, she was probably just dealing with the whole Japanese music industry, which is kind of raw for a young a, a young uh, lady to kind of deal with. Um, and a lot of it is like a real kind of like, fuck off, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to blow it out. I'm going to blow the production out. I'm going to make the really bass really fucking loud and the drums, like I'm going to distort stuff. I'm going to sing through a bullhorn. I'm going to sing in this very aggressive fashion, which is not ladylike and culturally curious. So, you know, the, I, it is, the, but underneath it all, you still have songs like... Um, uh, Gidusu, the track four, which is just a very pretty ballad. There are elements um, of jazz and, and all sorts of stuff. So it, it it's very typical Japanese from that point of view, where you have it's not 
it has several different dimensions to it. You know, in a weird way, she reminded me when I was listening to this of like Bjork in the sense that Bjork clearly has like a handle on how to write pop radio songs, but yeah. is kind of frustrated by the the closed nature of, you know, you got to do it this way and it's got it can't be any dissonance and it's got to be very, you know, if you listen to Homogenic and, and, and the albums in the 90s post, you know, there are some just perfect radio songs but then she is just like i am going to do exactly what i'm going to do what i want to do i'm going to pursue whatever weird sounds and rhythms and work with whoever i want and not be concerned with like placating radio and i think tori amos is kind of the same way like tori amos can Mm -hmm. clearly write a hook but just like is like i'm gonna go write weird albums and do whatever i want and if you want to follow along that's fine but can still write totally commercial music that doesn't completely upend her fan base. So it, it reminded me in, in that way of, of those artists who have clearly a, a control in a, you know, uh, understanding of pop songwriting, but just don't care, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. Bjork, Bjork is like, if you're playing the game of trying to draw a Western analog to a Japanese band or, or artist, Bjork would be my first, if somebody said who's the who's the who's the Western equivalent of Sheena Ringo, I would say Bjork, not because they sound alike, but because for exactly those reasons that, that, that you just said. But I, I, I wonder who was the who was the third best selling album in America in the year two thousand. And you know, if you look at that, and then this was the third. You know, this is the same in Japan. It was this record we're listening to. You know, there's probably. You know, quite a difference between the two. Jay, you could probably come up with that information in about two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll work on that, you guys. Um, so let me ask you then. Obviously, you're a fan of the record. In terms of it, you know, the, the one thing that holds me back, I'm not going to say it's something I don't like, but the thing that is difficult for me is I don't know what's going on vocally. Yeah. I know what I can hear the melody and I can I can hear it being repeated in the choruses. But because I have no concept of the lyrics or, you know, I, I, you know, I can't speak Japanese, so I don't know what's being said. It does leave it a little bit of like a distance between I'm listening sure. to it more as a curiosity than a full fledged, you know, appreciation. Um, does that get in the way at all of your listening or are you able to sort of bypass that and and just take it as a as it is? I don't know if it's because maybe I'm just in my head when I'm listening to music. I'm not as focused on on lyrical um, issues, um, or I'm trying to think of any other music in the song in another language that I that I listen to. Um, I like the sound of it. I like the sound of Japanese okay. the song. It sounds really hip, Japanese hip hop sounds pretty good too, actually, um, and. That it, it kind of yeah it doesn't I, I be I don't know if it's just I've gotten used to it but it doesn't bother me I mean do you do you guys like um, Cigarettes you know the band from Iceland I I have never really gotten into them I, I okay. think I've well, listened they, to them some of the soundtrack stuff that they've done sure but I've never really gotten into that band 
Well, I mean, they they don't sing in English. They don't even really sing in Icelandic either. They sort of sing in their own made-up language. And there's there's other bands like the Cocteau Twins. You, you, if you listen to a Cocteau Twins record, you kind of don't know what's, most of what she's singing. Listen to Murmur by R.E.M. You know, okay, it is English, but it's so kind of jumbled right. and kind of obscured. Um, I don't know if that's a similar thing. It's weird that, you know, the, the thing that I thought you were going to say when you said that the one thing that is like a kind of a... Uh, a distancing thing is just her voice. I'd be interested to know what you guys how you how you felt about her voice. A lot of people think that she's unnecessarily shrill <laughs> and aggressive in, in a lot of this record, like the first three records, really. Um, I I I liked her voice a lot. I thought there you have to get through the whole record though, because I think certain songs she does stay in a more nasal like i'm a liar i don't think is a good representation of the full record um yeah. i think there's some other stuff on here where she you know can get um more i guess have a richer voice she can definitely you know get up there there i think there's a part where oh uh, what song is it it almost sounds like guitar feedback but i'm pretty sure it's her screaming like it's such a yeah. high-pitched squeal it's a Pretty amazing. It's probably she, a bit public or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Track 11. She can really deliver a chorus. Like, if she needs to go hit a note to really pull you in, mm-hmm. like she can do it. I mean, she's got the the ability. So, and I like the production. The well, I like the production of this record overall. I think it's a really fun, different cool. approach. Vocally, I like it a lot because so a song like Identif- identity and a broken man in moonlight those two actually they're pretty simple like they're, uh, they're primarily just bass drums and vocal mm. um and guitar and the vocal is dry like there's not yeah they do some stuff here and there throughout the record where they'll put effects on it or another voice will come in but there's a lot of sections where it's just straight one you know she doesn't double track herself there's not a ton of reverb effects. It's fairly, fairly dry. Um, and and I, I like that that aspect of, of the band or the, the, the album and, and the, when the band comes through. And then it twists and turns. Like you get moments like that, but then it'll switch into something that's, you know, totally synthetic sounding and jazzy and weird for, for a little bit. And, and mm-hmm. then come back to a, a band sound, which is a lot of fun. And I like the, um, we talked about the, the bass on this record, but... Which is a, a phenomenal, but I think the drums are really uh, what's bringing life to a lot of these songs. Uh, so track one in particular, th- there's two drum tracks and they're panned right and left on that tune, which is yeah. very unconventional. 
but in a way a weird way works like it it keeps what would otherwise be maybe a too like safe sounding kind of boring loungy kind of song into something <laughs> that's like just it's it's i don't know dynamic you know it's bouncing around and pushing and pulling because those two drum tracks are just off enough it's almost like you know that rolling stones effect where the those two guitars are just always a little off a little bit and it just makes it real so um i found that was um really cool and then just throughout the record whenever the drums come in it's it's always like an injection of life into the song um so it's uh it's a really cool listen. I, I, and production-wise, I dig it. I mean, I like when they do the hard pan. You know, there's a couple songs in here with a hard pan, the bass to the left and, and the guitar to the right. And um, then they'll swip, swap it for a section. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fun headphone listen, too. Yeah, I think we both always appreciate when there is a, a care and some intricate production work that's gone into it because it just makes it more more fun. And when you can sort of dig little pieces of you know, this and that out of each song, whether it's the panning or weird like keyboard noises or just uses of dynamics that are not typical to quote unquote pop music. You know, you have the loud yeah. quiet, but yeah. here there's some like really weird choices that you would hear, like you said, in progressive rock or or industrial, you know, there were times that, you know, her vocal, uh, the other thing that I liked, which I think Keith didn't like, when, when she gets like really sort of, um aggressive with her vocal and it starts to break you know and, yeah. and it gets raspy i really like that and i don't know that i don't know that her vo- vocal to me was shrill it was just her range is just you know like you said a little bit nasaler nasalier than yeah, um, it gets kind of pinched so yeah it? yeah but it, i think it's produced in such a way that it doesn't crush the mix you know she's she's loud but it's not mixed like again. It's not mixed in a Western pop sense where ev- like no. everything is based around the vocal. So like really, all you hear in like a Western like you know you do the radio test in the car and you keep turning yeah. it down, turning it down, and basically what you get down to is like vocal and like snare and hi hat because that's all that's driving Western pop music is like vocal and beat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I and I I didn't uh, sample this on a lot of different headphones, but I listened to a couple different and. This is probably not a good listen in in, to, in cheap like you know no, iPhone no, no, buds, no. Because you're you're gonna yeah you're gonna get all that uh, you're gonna get all that bass and fuzz and there's some like times in here where it sounds like they're almost putting an extra like distortion effect or introducing just like noise too, which makes some of the parts um, a little. When you when I listen to better headphones, I can I can understand what's going on, but I can imagine if I had in cheap headphones, it would kind of just sound a little painful. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is something I think it's one of those records where it's best experience and either you know a decent set of speakers or or, or headphones that you know are not in ear like super compressed. Yeah, something that can kind of cope with that blown out sound and and mm-hmm. and kind of. You know, you separate it for your for your ears because yeah, if you're right, if you listen to the crappy little cheap earbuds, it's, it will because there's an awful lot of middle frequencies coming through. There's a lot of yeah. harmonic distortion. I mean, um, I can't remember which track it was. It starts with the cellos. I think it may be a driving rain in darkness, and it just starts with the 
and even the ch- they've even distorted the cello, <laughs> you know, the cellos at the start yeah. of this track. You know, everything has this kind of analog distortion. But then, like you're right, when they get to a, a more simple uh, piece of music, like um, Sikiti Makini, A Broken Man in Moonlight, and it's like it all just opens up. So it's like a palate cleansing moment, you know, where. And also the the moment after the first track, after I Am A Liar goes in the bathroom, which is a much different, it has this kind of, you know, this sort of dance beat in the programmed, and, but these beautiful lush strings come in for the chorus and it opens, it's great, it's like a big beautiful flower kind of opening up and those are the moments that I, I don't love all of this record, there's a couple of tracks in particular that I could definitely lose, which I think would make it a better record, but I would say like 11 out of the 13 tracks are, are, are pretty great. Speaking yeah, of... ba- oh, go ahead, Jake. Well, I, I was just saying on bathroom. That's one where, when you that song starts off, you could kind of hear maybe, oh, this is like a garbage song, you know, um, the band garbage, like yeah, kind of alternative, has a heavy electronic sound, so it's dancey. But then they go into those piano breaks, which are completely unexpected. And so yeah, cool. it could be from like a Disney record from the the seventies <laughs> or something. Or 60s, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then it goes into that soaring chorus. You're like, okay, this is totally different than anything Garbage would do, you know? To give you a tiny little bit of very quick context, um, the record, she made a record uh, after this, um, her, her next kind of proper solo record, uh, which is um, called Koksamen um, Kurinohana, which means uh, chalk, semen, chestnut flower. And she went, it came out in 2003, and she went even further and th- this record is is like her Sergeant Pepper. That's the one that everybody focuses on. That are fans of Sheena Ringo, which is like even more elaborate production, even stranger kind of genre hopping instances. You know, parts of songs that have somebody doing the hoovering. It just it goes. It kind of like has this whole thing. But then after after a few years, um, she started a band which she called Tokyo Jihen, which means Tokyo Incident. And they, and then she kind of turned towards, um, between then and, and this third record, she started to turn towards jazzier. She was always kind of a fan of jazz music and vocal jazz as well. And she went fully towards that. So there are always those kind of influences were always in the background for her. If you listen to her very first record, 
that the close that if we were if we had done the first record, and the reason why I didn't do the first record, it's just not as good a record as Shows of Strip. Um, and basically, like her for a lot of that first record, her primary primary influence seems to be something like Alanis Morissette. So it has that same kind of mm. you know that's a slightly aggressive fuck you thing that Alanis did in her early kind of yeah. Style. I could hear that. I mean, that pokes through here and there on this record, but it's not enough to really take over. And, and when she does sound like other artists, like I'm going through my notes here. So Sick by Public, um, I wrote down No Doubt, but to me it's like this would be one of the better No Doubt songs, you know, if they had <laughs> written it. And the same thing with Instinct. Like I wrote down this kind of reminded me of Jamir- Jamiroquai. And I'm like, but this would be like one of their best songs <laughs> if it right. was a Jamiroquai song. <laughs> so it's – if you're hearing other bands it's like on par with their better material in my in my opinion in most cases somebody said to me um recently that crime and punishment um that they thought it reminded them of um you know muse covered that that they did a cover feeling good you know yes yeah yes yes you know that kind of six eight jazzy kind of six eight thing is that a nina simone song i think so yeah oh she definitely brought it you know she did it that is, that is the song that, that came to mind when, I, when and, I listened to that. And a lot of this record, I, I Muse is not a bad comparison, especially on like the second record. Um, hmm. and, and with with the sort of out-of-control guitar parts that happen on that record, where it's just like feedback and like shredding that's just completely absent of any sort of connection to the record, where it's just like hit Matt Bellamy's just like shredding over top of stuff throwing in these like crazy licks. And there are parts of this album that reminded me of that where there's the guitar player just, you know, throws a solo in somewhere. It's just like absolutely blazing. And, you know, they just go right back into the song somewhere else. And yeah. And I love uh, this track eight stoicism, which is probably one of my least favorite tracks, but there's, if you listen to it, it it literally sounds like someone's, the guitar player's tuning up in the middle of the song. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell's going on? Well, let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? I I don't think we're going to hit a decent single on this. So, yeah. uh, Crawford, I I think we're at a worthy album for you. You said eleven out of thirteen, correct? I, I would I would knock out Sick Bed Public and Stoicism, even though I I've warmed to Stoicism over the last couple of years. I hated it when I first heard it. So, Sick Bed Public's just a little bit too annoying, and Stoicism is just a little bit too. I think it breaks the flow of the record. Um, but yeah, worthy album for me. 
I, I agree with you on there, I, both in terms of the Worthy album and those two songs. Stoicism was the one where I was kind of shaking my head, like I, I don't, I have no idea what's going on here. This is this yeah. is bizarre. Um, the only other other one that I I had a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of trouble with was actually track nine, "A Broken Man in Moonlight," only because that sounds so much like Weezer to me. Like I think that <laughs> riff is hmm. the sweater song. If I if I really? were to get my guitar out, I think I'd be playing the the chord progression of the sweater song by by Weezer off the first record. The thing uh, that redeems the thing that redeems Broken Man in Moonlight for me is. On the second verse, the bass does this beautiful climb up through the notes as she sings it, and it is the, it's the loveliest part of the whole record for me. It always makes me, it always kind of brings a little bit of warmth to you know. We say, oh, that's such a great little bit. That bass player is so cool. <laughs> well, I never like to diss on the bass players, be, being one myself. Uh, yeah, I'd, oh, be at, I'd be at ten. I'd be at ten songs on this record, so it's a worthy album for me as well. Jay, what about you? Worthy album, better EP. Worthy album. Um, wow, I'm so happy. Yeah, I, I, I stoicism. I'm with you. I, the tidbits I didn't have flagged, and excuse to Busey was another one that didn't have flagged. But other than that, uh, I'm down. I think the only thing you know in terms of that I don't like about this record is um, it takes some time. It some of the segues I think are a little odd. I don't know if it's the edit the the way it's edited in mp3s or what but some of the songs the way they stop and start is a little bit strange i can um, might know why that is actually um she's got a weird thing about patterns um if you look at the kanji that are on the track listings they're symmetrical um from track seven outwards the the amount of the, the actual the amount of kanji the, the numbers of the kanji are symmetrical and she built in she's built in that to a lot of her records she has this weird um, obsession with symmetry and different patterns and stuff and also the record is 55 minutes and 55 seconds and it sounds <laughs> like it was kind of chopped around to fit that length so that might be huh. why it's, it's a little bit awkward yeah wow that's strange okay yeah you can yeah there's some parts of the record i'm like it might is are my file broken or my itunes busted what's going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> i noticed that uh, too yeah so but no this is this was a really cool find and uh as a result of me listening to this, uh, Apple Music's been recommending uh, J Rock playlists to me now, so I'll be d- digging in deeper here to the uh, to the J Rock stuff. Nice, cool. That's really cool. I would let let me give you quickly give you some bands. Um, I did make a little list. If if any of those are, are, are kind of digging this kind of thing, uh, definitely check out a band called Number Girl. Um, slightly more aggressive. Um, still very much have a lot of the similar influences. I suppose Number Girl would be like a Japanese refraction of a band like Shellac in that they have the very noisy, turbulent guitars, but they also have the Japanese, you know, well-written poppy kind of stuff underneath. There's a band called Supercar, another band called Judy and Mary, Flipper's Guitar, which is Cornelius's first band. Um, uh, Cornelius, um, quite well known in the West and the band that he had before Flipper's Guitar, their last record, and it's really interesting that you were talking earlier about some of the Manchester thing. Um, like their last record, which is called Dr. Head's World's Tower is basically Screamadelica, but from the screen is exactly the same. It's so weird. Um, There's another band called Clambon, C-L-A-M-M-B-O-N. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. Um, So yeah, check those guys out if you are interested. Cool. And uh, I'll make sure to uh, link to your show 
in the show notes. Oh, so that that's, people that's can, very kind. Thank you. Where can people go to, uh, whether, while they're listening, where can they go to uh, hear that? Is SoundCloud and those sorts of things? Well, we have we have a show archive, um, which is Mixcloud. Uh, Mixcloud. It's mixcloud.com forward slash Japan Alternative Sessions. The show is called Japan Alternative Sessions, and it's broadcast on a little British um, internet radio station on like a Friday night. So it's probably not like particularly good for, for listeners in the States and, and such. But you can you can hear all our past shows um, and specials and stuff like that on our Mixcloud. So if you could just Google Mixcloud Japan Alternative Sessions, um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, all the usual kind of stuff. But that's the show's about usually about 90 minutes. We choose about five or six tracks each and just talk a lot. Try We try and provide a bit of context because a lot of the music that we – sometimes we can't find out any information about the bands. It's a bit embarrassing. But we try to at least give people a fighting chance of, of kind of getting to know what, you know where to find the music or what it's all about. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. And uh, sorry we got the time. Thanks for having up. me. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. No, yeah, no problem. I, we, I don't writing, think I've ever this. gotten the uh, time zone differences correct anytime we've ever spoken to anyone <laughs> outside the United States. So, no, no uh, problem. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I, I must say that I, I thought this was going to. I I was really thinking this is going to get a bit of a kicking because I just thought you would maybe hate her voice. So I'm really happy that I got two worthy albums. I'm like, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm just really pleased. Uh no. You you, uh, yeah. you uh, brought us something that uh, wowed us, and uh, I think based on our appreciation for that Cardiacs record, which yeah. I, I don't know if it was appreciation as much as complete and total uh, confusion uh, with yeah. much of that record, <laughs> but uh, we'd prefer to be confused rather than bored. So yes, thank you. Great, that's so. <laughs> thank you so much. Great pick. Yeah, and I want to remind everybody: you can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out to become a patron for as little as a buck a month. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Oh,